0: I'm super excited to get to read the Bible together with you this morning. Uh, It's so good that we get to read the Bible in English. You know the guy that first translated the Bible into English uh, about 600 years ago spent his whole life with this one goal. He was like, if only we could have an English Bible, and then it was illegal. And in the end, he did it, and he got it published. actually outside the UK because it was illegal in the UK and then the government sent assassins to go and find him outside the UK and killed him and then they were so angry that they then dug him up and killed him again and buried him somewhere else because they really wanted to make the point that it was illegal and so it's quite extraordinary to see how England has done in the last few centuries having a Bible and it is exciting to read the Bible together this morning Um, it's a privilege right? Uh, And so what we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 36. This is the final message of our uh, few weeks that we've spent looking at the book of Jeremiah. And um, uh, the, the whole big theme of Jeremiah's story is endings and beginnings. He is living in a time when he is prophesying the nation that I live in, the city where the temple is, Jerusalem. This whole thing is going to come to an end. It's going to get destroyed and that's gonna be tragic and painful, but it has to happen in order to make space for the new thing that God wants to do. You know, David spoke a couple of weeks ago about you know, the old covenant had to end so the new covenant could come, right? And instead of just having one, one ethnic group and one language and one city, God needed to bring an end to that so that the gospel could come to all ethnic groups and all languages and all cities all over the world. And so the, there has to be an ending So there can be a beginning. And that's the message of Jeremiah's life. And today we're going to look at our final story uh, in this book. And we're going to be in chapter 36. And this story happens 25 years in. So Jeremiah has a 40-year ministry from 627 BC to 587 BC. Real historical character. He's got a 40-year ministry. This story happens 25 years in. So he's been prophesying for 25 years, and then this happens. Jeremiah chapter 36 and verse 1. We're going to be reading the whole chapter, and I'm going to try and demonstrate it to you. I'm going to play all the characters. We'll see how it goes, right? Jeremiah 36 and verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll... And write on it all the words that I've spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until now. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them, so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So God says to Jeremiah, you've been prophesying for 25 years, now I want you to change mode a little bit. Don't just speak it. I want you to get it written down. Take a scroll, write down everything. Uh, Papyrus was expensive. I've got a scroll here, but this one is not papyrus. This is just cheap. I'd nicked it from the office. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, But papyrus was super expensive. Like, literally, it would cost the equivalent of more than buying a house today, and we know that's expensive, right? So... It's going to be expensive. It's going to take him nine months to write everything down with his friend Barak. So they're going to lock themselves in a room and they're going to do this for nine months. So it's a big project, okay? And um, the purpose in verse 3, it says, so that you can, they haven't been listening to you, but maybe if it's written down and you read it, maybe then they'll listen. Maybe they'll take notice and maybe they'll repent. Okay, that's the point. So verse 4, so Jeremiah called Barak, Oi, Barak, I don't think it was by phone, um, the son of Neriah, and Barak wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he'd spoken to. Jeremiah couldn't write, he's from a village somewhere, right? But, but they had, most people couldn't read and write in those days, but Barak was a professional scribe, that's his job, that's what he knows how to do. So Baruch, Jeremiah calls him and says, will you come? And they sit in a little room in the city, And um, lock themselves away for nine months. And Jeremiah is dictating, remembering all the prophecies that he's brought, all these words about. And he's dictating, and Barak is writing down very carefully, writing it all down in this scroll. Obviously, right to left, ancient Hebrew, going this way, right? And so, for a long, long time, and they end up with this big scroll, which is essentially. The book of Jeremiah and all these prophecies written down like that. Verse 5, and Jeremiah ordered Barak saying, now I'm banned from going to the house of the Lord. Every time I go up there, they get upset because I say God's going to destroy it all and they don't really like that. Um, so I'm banned from going there. So you're going to go. <laughs> and you're going to go on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, and you will read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you've written at my dictation, you shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. So Jeremiah says, um, I can't go to the temple Uh, So you're going to go, Barak, and you're going to read this scroll there on a busy day, on a day of fasting, when everybody, it's not just the normal people in the temple, everyone's going to be there. And they're going to come from the surrounding countryside up to the city. So there's going to be lots and lots and lots of people there, Barak, and you're going to read it to them. And um, they probably won't like it, but it may be that they will listen and they will repent. So verse 8, Barak, God love him, lovely guy. The son of Neriah, he did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him (laughs) about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. So this is December time, the ninth month, because their year starts in spring. It's December time. Everyone's come from all over the country up to the capital city. They're all there. And in the hearing of all the people, poor little Baruch. <laughs> I thought I only signed up to do the writing. I didn't realize I also had to do the reading to everyone. I'm re- I've never done this before. I'm quite nervous, right? He read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. And he read them, and he read them, and he read them. And he probably read for quite a long time because it was a big scroll. And um, he was standing in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate to the Lord's house. So the the temple had this like massive courtyard with different gates, and he's at this one end of the the temple. And uh, this family, so Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, this family, if you go back and look all the way through the book of Jeremiah, they've been friends to Jeremiah. They're one of the influential, powerful families in Jerusalem, but they're really the only family who have listened to him. They've sponsored him, they've protected him, they've funded him. At times they've helped him out. They've, they've been the friends in high places, um, but they're the only family really that's been on Jeremiah's side. And so they say, Oh, you can read it in our corner of the courtyard. You know, so so Barracks there in that corner of the courtyard reading this scroll. I wonder how he felt, big crowds, little guy, heavy words, and quite strong message. Verse 11, when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, so he's from this family, you've got Shaphan, his son, and then his son, Micaiah, so he's a young guy, but he's part of this family who've always been friends. To Jeremiah, when Micaiah heard the words of the scroll of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. Elishamah the secretary, Deliah the, she- the son of Shemaiah, El Nathan the son of Akbar, Gemariah the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. So Micaiah hears Baruch reading these words, and he's like, Wow, that's the words of God. Those are amazing. And he forces his way through the crowds and he runs down into the to where the palace is, the king's house, and the secretary's room there, and the, the, the council are meeting there. All the important men in the city are there. It, it, the council are meeting, and his including his dad. And he comes in, a young guy. Can you imagine? And he interrupts. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, dad, dad. I'm really sorry for interrupting your meeting. Like you wouldn't do that in this culture. It's massive disrespect. Interrupts them. There's a guy, reading some words. I think it's really important. I think we should listen. So he, he's, inf- he's impacted. He does something about it. He goes and interrupts this meeting. And he says, we need to hear these words. Okay? Verse 13. So Micaiah, he told them all the words that he'd heard. I don't know if it was literally all the... He's just memorized all of it and just recited it all. But he told them, when Barak read the scroll in the hearing of the people, then the officials... They sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, son of Shelemiah, son of Cushi, say to Barak, take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of all the people and come. So Barak, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to him. So they send someone up and say, Barak, Barak, I know you've just read the whole thing in the temple courtyard and you think you're done for the day and you're going to go home and have a cup of tea and put your feet up. We need you to come and read it again, please. But this time in the king's house, in the chamber of the council meeting. So Barak, bless him. Okay. I'll just do, the whole story, he's just doing whatever he's told. Okay. So he comes into the council meeting, he brings his scroll with him, and they say, read to us. They said to him, sit down and read it. So at least they asked him to sit down and read it, right? It's Kind. So Barak read it to them. Verse 16, when they heard all the words, they turned to one another in fear. Can you just turn to one another in fear? Yeah, you're terrified, guys. (laughs) And um, they said to Barak, we must report all these words to the king. So it's been the temple courtyard. It's been the the council chamber, and now they say, "Okay, now we need to report it to the king, because this is big stuff. Then they asked Barak, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation, that guy, who we don't like very much? And Barak answered them, yeah. (laughs) He dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Barak, Right, you better go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and don't let anyone know where you are. Because we're going to tell the king, but we don't think he's going to like it. And he might be sending his assassins out to come and find you. You know, send out an Israeli wet team to come and find you. And um, so they turn to one another in fear. That's a good response to warnings from God. And then they say, go and hide, because we don't know how the king's going to react. Verse 20. So they went into the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. So the king sent Yehudi to go get the scroll. The scroll is like a character in this story. Yeah, we leave it in this room. Now Yehudi comes and gets it. It's like, where's the scroll in the story, right? And... um. He took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Yehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood behind the king. So now Yehudi has got the same scroll. He's going to read it. Good thing he can read Barak's handwriting, right? If I'd written it, he wouldn't have a chance. Reads the scroll to the king. The king's there. All the officials are there. And it was the ninth month, that's December, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the pot before him. So here's the fire pot. Um, I wanted to have a real fire, but I got told we can't do that, so sorry. So the king is um, sitting in his house. It's cold. He's got a fire pit burning nice and warm. He's got some marshmallows, I don't know, You a little (laughs) glass of whiskey. And he's um, warming himself by the fire pot. And Yehudi is standing here and reading the scroll to him. And um, a terrible thing, one of the worst verses in the whole Bible. Are you ready for this? Verse 23. As Yehudi read three or four columns, the king would listen, and then he'd cut them with a knife. I tried cutting with a knife, I can't do it, but we've invented scissors since then, so. <laughs> he would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot. And then Yehudi would read a few more columns. And the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot. And Ye- <laughs> Yehudi's going, I'm trying to keep my fingers out the way, O oh king. Read a few more columns. And the king would cut a bit more off until eventually the whole scroll that had taken Jeremiah nine months to write, that had cost all his money to make, it's gone up in smoke. Until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid. Nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll. Please, your majesty, what are you doing? Don't do that. He would not listen to them. It's a terrible thing to have the word of God, to hear it, and then to reject it so categorically. It says they weren't afraid, no fear, no repentance. Now, cut in verse 23, he cut them with a knife, and tear their garments in verse 24 is the same word in Hebrew, cut. So he cut the scroll but he didn't cut his garments. He cut the scroll, but not his garments. And um, the scroll is supposed to cut you, but instead you're cutting the scroll. Where God's word and your pride meet, does God's word cut you? Or do you cut God's word? You know, if there's a game of chicken between the word of God and what you want to do with your life. Who gets out the way? And um, this whole thing of a a few rows at a time. That's how people get rid of the Bible from their lives. That's how people stop believing it. No one takes the whole Bible and just throws it away, but it starts with, "Well, I don't believe that bit, or I don't like that bit very much." So when I read the Bible, I'm going to read the bits I like, but I'm going to not read the bits I don't like. It's like cutting away at God's authority, at God's word in you. You know, disobedience—it's never all in one go; it's a daily thing. Harden my heart, I'll disobey. I won't believe. Chop a little bit out. Chop a little bit out. One morning you wake up and there's nothing left of your Bible. Nothing left of your faith. Wow, I'm actually trembling. It's like a, you know, it's it's quite a scary story, right? Um... This word in verse 24, they didn't cut their garments, they didn't tear their garments. That's actually a direct reference to Jehoiakim's father. This king's father, Josiah, he found a scroll in the temple. He read it, and after he read it, he cut his garments in repentance. And so this this guy's father did allow the word of God to cut him. But now the son has moved so far away that instead he's cutting the word of God. And in verse 25, listen, he would not listen to them. Listen is also a key word in this story all the way through. This story is about the fact that some people listen and some people don't listen. How about you? Are you listening? Verse 26, this is a lovely verse. You know, often in the Bible, Next to the really horrifying verses, like 23, you get really lovely verses, like 26. 26 says, and the king commanded Jerachmil, the king's son, and Saraiah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah the son of Abdel, to seize Barak, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. So he sends his team out to go and get them. But the Lord had hidden them. It's beautiful, isn't it? God looks after his people. He protects. He hid them. These guys have come looking for them. They can't find them because God's hidden them. Verse 27. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Barak wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. What's God going to say? to Je- If it was you, you've done all that work. You've done this scroll. You've invested all this time and all this money. You've poured your, your, it's your, your soul. It's your prophetic burden. It's your life's work. You've poured it all into this project and then you hear the king has just chopped it and burned it, what could God possibly say to Jeremiah to comfort him and encourage him? Verse 28. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. Do it again. Start again from zero. Whew. Really? And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord. You've burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning this king, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David. He has just forfeited his throne. And his dead body shall be cast out into the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. And I'll bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon all the people of Judah all the disaster that I've pronounced against them, but they would not hear. So he says, take another scroll. Start writing again. Okay. Good thing i got another one. Take another scroll, start writing again, and this time you're going to add a bit. You're going to add another couple chapters that weren't in the first one. And this time you're going to add a word of judgment against the king and against the people. And you're going to say the first scroll was giving you a chance to repent. The point of the first scroll was maybe you will repent. That bit's not in the second scroll. Now you're going to say the king's going to die. And his throne is going to be cut off. He had his chance. So the second scroll's even heavier. It's got a bit added. right? Because you can't do that to God. Now, he does it. These words are going to take another 15 years to fulfill. But they will certainly happen. The Babylonians will come. The city will end. The kingdom will end. And this king, Jehoiakim, is the last king from the direct line of David to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. 500-year dynasty. And it ends here because you chop up the scroll and you burn it in the fire and you can't do that. So Jeremiah, verse 32. Took another scroll, gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah... All the words of the scroll. Barak's like, are you sure you want to do this again? (laughs) Jeremiah's like, yeah, we're doing it again. Okay. Did it take another nine months? Was it a bit quicker the second time? Was it slower the second time? They wrote all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. That's the story, right? A story from the word of God. You enjoy it? How does it make you feel? Just shout out a couple of feelings. You're shouting, but I can't hear. There's something wrong with me, not you. Challenge. Challenge. What did you say, brother? Terrible. Challenge. Terrible. There was one over here. Anyone else? Shame. Shame. Humbled. Humbled. convicted, anger, yeah? Stories are supposed to provoke emotions in us. We feel something, and now we're gonna reflect, move it from our hearts to our brain, and just ask the question, what do we learn from this story? And I'm gonna show you five things, okay? Firstly, we look at this guy, Barak. Love him, God love him. Bless his cotton socks, right? I'm sure he didn't wear socks. Although it was cold in December, yeah, yeah. anyway. But he's faithful, he's loyal, he's obedient. He's never grumbling, he's never, every time he's asked to do something, he does it. It's not like Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, half the book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah complaining to God, right? Moaning, that's okay too. But Barak's not like that. He's loyal, he just keeps turning up. Will you read the scroll again? Okay. (laughs) Um, He uses his skill, his job, his training, his profession, but he's invited to use that for the glory of God. Isn't that lovely? And um, he goes on to the temple on this busiest day of the year to read the scroll. He has courage. And um, uh, uh, my, my question is, where did he get that from? Where did he get this courage, this obedience, this faithfulness, this loyalty from? How did, he get, how did he get that? How do we get like that? And all I can think, all I can see in the story is he spent nine months... Sitting, listening to the word of God from Jeremiah and writing it down. He's had nine months, I imagine, with the windows and the doors shut, locked into this project, soaking himself in God's words, in God's presence. He's had this kind of immersive moment. And he's so persuaded by this story that no other story is going to be impactful enough on his life. He's so compelled by these truths that no other truth is going to be compelling to him. You know, I think, so convinced that there's heaven and life after death, that he's not afraid of dying. So convinced that God is for him, that he doesn't really mind who's against him. And I think there's something about Being immersed in in the words of God, in the story of God, in the people of God, in the presence of God. You know, these young people have just been at New Day for a week, like soaked in Christian buzz. Thousands of young people. It's, you know, fantastic. It's a little bit of a bubble. Now they've got to come back to the real world, right? But there's something about being so immersed, so compelled, so persuaded that it gets inside you. That other stories and other truths and other ideas just can bounce off you. And I think Barak had this privilege. And we have that privilege. You've got a Christian community. You've got access to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. You've got the Bible. You know, we could soak ourselves and come out like Barak. Not afraid. Not ashamed. Just ready to work. Okay. You want me to go into the lion's den? Okay. (laughs) Amazing. So I think that's the first thing from the story. Secondly, some people in the story are immediately responsive to God's word. So like like the young guy in he hears it and he hears it and he's like straight away, right? I'm going to I'm going to interrupt the council meeting. I'm going to get my dad. I'm gonna, sorry guys, I know this is a really important meeting and I'm only a little kid, but you know. And so he just immediately responds. And when the council hear it, they immediately they look at one another in fear. Remember? And, they, just, and some people, and it's always been like this, and it will always be like this, some people will immediately respond to the Word of God. And you've got to have a confidence about that. You've got to have, you know, when you share with people, yeah, some people won't, but some people will. There will always be people who are saying yes. There will always be people with open hearts. There will always be people who respond get you know we spend so much time moaning about all the people that don't respond but get excited about the fact that there will always be people in your workplace in your school in your college in your university on your street there are people who will respond to the word of god because the word of god's powerful and there's always been people that just go wow yeah i believe that count me in amen thirdly This word to Jeremiah, the super encouraging, comforting word from God, take another scroll. Right? Um, I just really feel that's prophetic for some of us here today. You've, You've gone for some things. You've taken a risk. You've tried to build something. You've tried to do something. You've trusted God. It's fallen apart. And what God says to you today is, go again. Take another scroll. Have another go. You think, maybe I didn't hear from God properly the first time. No, you did. Go again. I just There's this um, character, William Carey. He was a cobbler from the Midlands in England. He made shoes. And um, he was called by God to go to India as one of the first modern missionaries to get on a boat and go to India and spend his life there. And when he got there, what he discovered was who knew, because he was just in the Midlands making shoes, he was a genius with languages. He got there and he just learned dozens of Asian languages and started translating the Bible into all of them with his team. And they've been there for decades, uh, working on Bible translations into the languages of Asia. And they've got an enormous warehouse uh, with all of their printing presses All of the dictionaries they've made and the grammar books that they've made of all of these languages that they've codified. They've got a polyglot dictionary of its own in the world with 20 different Asian languages all bouncing off each other that they're using as a key resource. They've got Bible translations stacked there of all the different... And it's all there in paper, piled up in a warehouse. No cloud, no hard drive, no backup. No insurance. The Bible translated from scratch, lying in this warehouse, into Hindustani, Sanskrit, Sikh, Telugu, Bengali, Uriya, Sinhalese, Maharata, Burman, Kashmirian, Arabic, Persian, Chinese. That's what they've done. It's a life's work. They've poured it in. Okay? No hard drives, no backups. Guess what happens? There's a fire, 1812. There's a fire, all of it gone. His life's work, decades of labor, all of it gone. And an eyewitness wrote this, went the next day, there's this smoking pile where this work used to be, and Kerry's just standing in the middle of it crying. (laughs) And an eyewitness wrote this, the scene was indeed affecting the immense printing office 200 feet long and 50 broad, reduced to a mere shell. The yard covered with burnt choirs of paper, the loss in which article was immense. Kerry walked with me over the smoking ruins. The tears stood in his eyes. In one short evening, said he, the labors of years are consumed." How unsearchable are the ways of God? Yeah, that's one way of putting it. I had lately brought some things to the utmost perfection of which they seemed capable and contemplated the missionary establishment with perhaps too much self congratulation. The Lord has laid me low that I may look more simply to Him. It's just brutal. And there standing in the smoking ruins with tears in his eyes, he feels God say to him, start again, take another scroll. And that's what they do. And for some here today, that's God's word to you. Fourthly of five things that we can take from this story, number four, God will vindicate. Check this out, right? The king, Jehoiakim, who chopped up and burnt the words of God, he is the last king in the line of David to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. The 500-year dynasty ends with him. The Babylonians come, as has been prophesied, and they put Jerusalem to the sword, and they burn it with fire. See, you chop up God's word, God's going to chop up your city. You burn God's word, God's going to burn your city. Now, remember Shaphan's family, this one family who were friends to Jeremiah, who believed him, who trusted him. Gedaliah, from Shaphan's family, is appointed governor over the remnant who remain in the country. So all the people are taken off into Babylon, into exile. But there's a few people that remain to look after the vines and do some farming and stuff like that. And the Babylonians say, we need someone trustworthy that we can appoint as governor on our behalf to look after these people. And they appoint Gedaliah son of Shaphan, who's one of the cousins of this family. So you've got someone who rejected the word of God is rejected from leadership in the nation. You've got someone who promoted the word of God is promoted to leadership in the nation. It's kind of a Hollywood ending, right? The king who cut the word of God is cut off. The guys who sponsored the word of God are sponsored by God to be governors in the nation. It's, it's a Hollywood ending where the bad guys get taken out and the good guys win. It's lovely. It doesn't always happen in the Bible. It's nice when it does, right? There's a vindication for those that trust God. And then finally, the fifth thing that we see in this story. In this story, we see a glimpse of Jesus Christ. Of course we do. The whole Bible's about Jesus. Jesus said, all of these things point to me. And Jesus is in this story. You see, after this ending, when the last king loses his throne and the nation is closed down, there's a 500-year wait until a new son from the line of David is born. One who will live his life trusting the word of God and his name is Jesus. But not only does Jesus come as a king who will obey the word of God, Jesus comes as one who is the word of God. His word made flesh and dwelling among us. Remember, to write the scroll in this kind of closed off room took nine months. And Jesus had a nine-month preparation in the womb of his mother, Mary, being prepared as the word of God to be presented. Someone precious, more precious than anything. God's labor of love. God's handiwork born and presented to the world and what did the world do with him well some believed some followed him straight away there will always be those that will believe but those in power in the same city 500 years later took Jesus this Word of God this scroll made flesh offered to the world took him and cut him and hung him on the cross and threw him in the trash And rejected him. And what does God do? God says well just as there was a second scroll. With a little bit added that didn't give people a chance anymore. So there will be a second coming of Christ. In the future. And we're still waiting. We're between the first scroll and the second scroll. We're between the death of Christ. And the time when he will come again. And he'll come a second time. And all eyes will see him. But there'll be a bit added, which is that there is no more chance for repentance. This is the window between the first scroll and the second. This is the chance to repent, to respond to him. He will come again, and at that time, there will be no more chance. But those who know him and love him will be welcomed by him and will be with him forever. And there'll be vindication. Those that have done wrong, put out, those who've embraced his word, brought into the land. And so in this story also we see many pictures as well of our Lord Jesus. And so we pray, don't we? Come Lord Jesus. Amen.